Well, Father in heaven, we give you thanks for Acts of the Apostles. It's been a great blessing for me to be able to go through this great book over the past 13 months. This will be broadcast number 59, and Lord willing, this will conclude Acts of the Apostles. And I pray that as of tomorrow, this will start to go out on the radio. So for the next 59 days, Acts of the Apostles will be broadcast all over the world, thanks to the shortwave radio. And like I say, it's been a great blessing to look at this historical book to do the best I can when it came to reading it, explaining it, and pronouncing some of these words. And I would just say that if you want to go back, you are more than welcome to do so and start all over again with me. My estimate would be that the entire project lasted just under 30 hours. So I give the Lord all of the credit, all of the glory, and all of the thanks. But let's start today, if we may, and let's conclude today, Lord willing, from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 28, take a look please at verse 1. And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melitia, known today as Malta. 2. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us, every one, because of the present rain and because of the cold. What a great welcoming party. And this group of Barbarians, ignorant people, superstitious people showed Paul and co. more kindness than probably the whole of jury put together. But the latter parts of verse 2 is of interest to me because of the present rain and because of the cold. And I think of Satan as a cold, wet and slippery serpent. Hold that thought. Look at verse 3, please. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire... There came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Satan has many titles in scripture. And one of his titles, of course, is that great serpent who deceived Eve initially, who then was able to get Adam deceived as well. The woman was in deception. And as a result, Adam fell with Eve. But this reference to a viper coming out of the heat and fastening on the hand of the Apostle Paul, I believe is probably a veiled attack by Satan himself to kill Paul and to thwart Paul's ministry. Look at verse 4. When the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang in his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. If you go back to the Old Testament, there's an account from Genesis chapter 20, from memory concerning Abraham and Sarah. And on that occasion, Abraham was trying to get made to be, and he knew that his wife slash half-sister was very attractive, and he didn't want the pagans to take Sarah uh, for their own, for their wife. And therefore, he was somewhat deceptive, somewhat economical with the truth. And there's an account from that event where the leader of the barbarians, the Gentiles, said to Abraham something along the lines of, I didn't sin by taking her. I wasn't going to lie with somebody else's wife. And the scripture says, yes, because the Lord restrained you from doing such an act. Well, that individual back in Genesis chapter 20, before the law, knew the difference between right and wrong. And here, verse 4, they knew the difference between right and wrong. And therefore, wherever you are in the world, if you are 
trying to hide behind ignorance as an alibi not to get saved, you are very foolish because you will be judged by what your conscience has shown you. But here they are observing Paul after this viper has fastened on his hand, bitten him, attempted to kill him. And after realizing that he hasn't died, they draw another conclusion. But before we get to that, look at verse 5, please. And he took off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. This was promised to the apostles back in Mark chapter 16, that they would speak with other tongues, which they did, that they would cast out devils, which they did. And if they would pick up any snake, it wouldn't hurt them, which, of course, it didn't concerning the Apostle Paul here. On top of that piece of scripture, there's a reference about drinking deadly poison and not dying as a result. And that latter part from Mark 16 has been of some confusion, perhaps, can we say, some uncertainty as to where we find that in Acts of the Apostles. Well, of course, we don't find that in Acts of the Apostles. That is a reference to the two witnesses, specifically during the Great Tribulation. And maybe also concerning the 144,000. But here, this viper has bitten Paul. And after watching him, he hasn't died, which of course he should have done. And on top of that, he, from verse 5, shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Satan will eventually be thrown into the lake of fire. And that will happen Initially, before the thousand years, during the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan will be bound in hell. And yet you are told that after 1,000 years, he gets uh, brought up from hell. He is allowed out of hell and he goes off to deceive the nations. Now, just very briefly, that's a good scripture to show that annihilation, a belief that the SDA and the JWs hold to is incorrect. You're not annihilated. He goes into hell, he's there for a thousand years, he doesn't burn up. He is conscious for that entire event, and yet he's burning. Look at verse 6, please. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen, or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while, and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds, and said that he was a god. They gone from one extreme to another. They've assumed that he was guilty. They assumed he was a murderer, which of course he was not. And from that incorrect assumption they now think he is a god see man is very religious man is very superstitious you have to go to college or university to be educated out of being religious but this group of individuals are somewhat perplexed why hasn't he died if he's not a murderer he must be deity and of course that was an incorrect assumption to make but of course these people aren't saved this is a group of unsaved superstitious pagans infidels so what would you expect? Look at verse 7. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. They've just arrived on a foreign island called Malta. Paul has almost been put to death by a snake. He's been able to survive that. And we're told about a man called Publius, who was one of the chief men of the island, a VIP. And he receives them and lodges them courteously for three days. And that word lodge, do you think of a lodger? Somebody who stays in your home and pays rent. That's the same sort of thing, but no doubt Paul and co. were put up for free, and they are there for three days. But look at verse 8. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed 
and laid his hands on him and healed him. This, to the best of my knowledge, is the last time that Paul would heal anybody. And I think this uh, sickness which has afflicted the father of Publius was somehow tied into verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, and probably verse 5. I think that Satan knew that Paul was not only going to arrive on this island, and when he wasn't able to kill Paul, he thought he would afflict the father of Publius. Because my belief is that this individual, and quite possibly along with his uh, father himself, or the man referred to as Publius, would go on to be saved. So you got Publius and his father are probably on the cusp of being saved. And therefore, Satan wants to thwart that. And he has afflicted this man with a fever. We know from, I think it's Mark chapter 2 from memory, how the Lord Jesus Christ would leave a synagogue and go into the home of Simon Peter. And Simon Peter's wife's mother was sick of a fever. And we are told from Mark chapter 2 how the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked the fever. Now, you don't rebuke something unless it is uh, an entity. If you've got a cold, you don't rebuke a cold. But I think what was afflicting the mother-in-law of Simon Peter was an unclean spirit. And I think this unclean spirit, uh, disguised as a fever, has been afflicting the father of Publius. Hence why Paul goes in, prays, and lays his hands on him. And as a result, he is healed. And yet later on in this piece of scripture, Paul will speak to those from Jewry, rabbis, children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet they couldn't heal this man. It would fall to the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 9, please. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honoured us with many honours. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. You've got those that were suffering with diseases, plural, in the island. Others, plural. You've got a group of people that are also wanting to be healed. And they got healed straight away without any failures. And I guess the first 10 verses from Acts 28 show that Paul hit the ground running. He's arrived on this island. He doesn't know what to, uh, what to expect, what is going to await him. And within five minutes of arriving, he's been taken into the home of Publius, who's looked after him. And yet he has been thrown into the lion's den, if you will. People are sick. They are arriving in numbers like they would do back in the Gospels, and they get healed. No failures. And I think it's quite likely that, on the one hand, Satan was afflicting these people, and on top of that, they were probably into much sin. And if you're not careful, sin will ruin you. But take a look, if you will, at verse 11, please. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose son was Castor and Pollux. I think this, I think they arrived there, they spent three months there, they got many people saved, although we're not told that. So I will say that. We're not told specifically. But ask yourself this. If such a group of people didn't get saved, weren't saved, why would they spend three months there? I think Publius got saved. I think his father got saved. I think those on the island got saved. Possibly those from three and four and five. And after three months there, Paul is ready to move on. Now I've been to... Malta, as as is Patrick, on two separate occasions. And when I went there, there are still some uh, 
artifacts pointing back to when Paul was there. And when Patrick went there, he also was able to soak up the atmosphere. I think he went to St. Paul's Bay. And it is somewhat of an interesting place to go to. And yet Paul's route was to get to Rome. He was heading to Rome. And yet the Holy Ghost took him via Malta. And Malta, to the quick footnote, suffered terribly during World War II. The Germans almost destroyed it because Malta was very pro-Britain, which of course gave the world the King James Bible. And yet, I don't know how many say people are in Malta today, but this island was able to welcome the greatest Christian that ever lived. And you're told that, aren't you, from verse 10. Honoured us with many honours. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. Gifts to some extent. And when you go back to the Old Testament, you read about certain Jewish people who would be ministering to on the one hand, Jewish individuals and also Gentile individuals. And they wouldn't take gifts because they were told to get in and get out. But here, Paul and co. have received gifts of some kind and off they go on their journey. But I would say by verse 11, they spent three months, so it's time to push on and they're going to go via Egypt to Rome. Look at verse 12, please. And landing at Syracus, we tarried there three days that is Sicily, the bottom part of Italy from memory, 13. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regum. And after one day the south wind blew and we came the next day to Vitelli. That's Naples. So they are still very much on the cusp of Italy. They are working their way up to Rome. And again, the attention to detail is quite remarkable. It's almost as if Dr. Luke was a sailor. And yet, like I said last time, he wasn't. He was a medical doctor. And yet he wants you to know which way they are going. In fact, I believe you can take a cruise around the Mediterranean and you can follow the steps or follow in the steps of the Apostle Paul. And you can go to these islands if you would wish to do so. Look at verse 14, please. Where we found brethren and were desired to tarry them seven days. And so he we went toward Rome. They find brethren just outside of Rome. And my feeling would be this, that this individual or this, this group of people, I should say, are probably Jews. That have heard the gospel, maybe from Acts chapter 2, and they've gone back to their hometowns, and here they have desired Paul to spend seven days with them, teaching, worshipping, and fellowshipping with them, no doubt. But the key is to get to Rome, the centre of the world. 15. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three taverns. Whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. Paul doesn't seem to be a threat any longer to Rome. Hence why he has been allowed to dwell by himself with a single soldier. And that goes back to chapter 27 verse 3. Paul has been shown kindness. His route could have been very difficult. He could have been chained he could have been bound. In fact, I think of that great movie called Ben-Hur, which was made back in the 1950s. And there's a scene in that movie where Ben-Hur is working on one of the Roman ships and he's bound, he's shackled. And he has been bound and shackled for months. And all around him, there are people that are dying through starvation, through dehydration, through malaria and who knows what else. And he has been working solid, and the idea, of course, from that movie was that they were trying to kill him. Of course, it's not a real life story. It's fictitious, you understand. But 
during Roman times, if you, if you were a prisoner of Rome, your life could be very difficult. And yet here, the Lord has stepped in once again and shown Paul much kindness. Look at verse 17, please. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. I am innocent of these charges. But more importantly, did you note who's not here? Where is Peter? We are told that Peter went to Rome. We are told that Peter was the first bishop of Rome. And yet a book came out in the 1950s written by two Catholic priests, which found Peter's burial spot in Jerusalem, of all places. And that box that they found in Jerusalem, on this box there is an Aramaic inscription telling us that Simon Peter is buried here, along with Lazarus, Mary and Martha, of all people. And that book was written by two Catholic priests, like I say, and that book was presented as evidence to Pope Pius XII. And surprise, surprise, he sat on it. He suppressed it. Because it doesn't, it doesn't fit the myth that Peter went to Rome and became the first Pope. He went to Babylon, being Iraq. And if this book is correct, and I'm not saying it is or it isn't, but if this book is correct, if what these two priests found is correct, then it would appear that Peter went back to Israel and died in Jerusalem, which would make sense to me because he was a Jew, witnessing to the Jews. And of course, Jerusalem is the eternal city. But here Paul has been able to summon Jews, chief men, to his abode. And he wants them to know that he's innocent of the charges that have been levied against him. And from verse 18, who when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. I'm not a traitor. I am a child of Israel. I'm a child from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a faithful Jew. I'm not a traitor. And yet I have appealed to Caesar. Very interesting. Look at 20. For this cause therefore have I called for you, to see you, and to speak with you. Because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Once again he doesn't quite get down to the heart of the matter. He doesn't preach the gospel per se. Like 25, 26, 27. He's speaking about the hope of Israel. Which would be twofold. Number one, that the Messiah would come. And of course the Messiah was Jesus. And that one day there would be a resurrection. And those that were faithful Jews would spend eternity worshipping the one true God. But it's almost like he doesn't know what to do initially with this crowd of Jewish people. Did you want to preach the gospel to them? Did you want to get them saved? Of course he does. And yet at the same time he doesn't want to cast his pearls before swine. But I'm very interested from verse 21. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, nor that any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. Now I don't quite know what to make of that. Because Paul was despised. Paul was hated by the Jews for being a Jew that got saved. But look at 21 again. We neither receive letters out of Judea, which would um, include Jerusalem, of course, concerning thee. Neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. I can't believe that. And I wonder, they are lying to Paul. Because they knew who Paul was. And yet here they are saying, we haven't heard anything concerning you. As far as we know, you don't even exist. And yet I can't accept that. I think they were lying to Paul. I think they were biding their time. I think they were trying to weigh him up. Look at 22. 
But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. If you stand for the truth, if you represent the truth, if you are a saved person, you will be ridiculed, you will suffer persecution. And here, the early church is referred to as a sect. And I showed you from previous chapters how Paul thought nothing of calling himself a heretic. He would wear that, he would wear it as a badge of honour. We know that everywhere it is spoken against, and yet this same group of Jewish men would have us believe that they haven't heard of Paul. I don't believe them. 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out to the law of Moses and out to the prophets, from morning till evening. This is apologetics. On top of that, where is Peter? And on top of that, this shows me that this individual, known as the Apostle Paul, was commissioned to preach to the Jews and the Gentiles. On top of that, this shows me very clearly that this group of people had the ability to be saved if they wanted to be saved. Why would the Lord God send Paul halfway across the Mediterranean through dangerous waters, shipwrecked, whipped and beaten on many occasions, almost starved, living hand to mouth, to then arrive in Rome to preach to a group of Jews who couldn't be saved. I don't believe that. I believe that Christ died for everybody. He tasted death for every man. And yet, you've got to help yourselves. If you're not saved, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And that's what Paul is now doing. He's building on the hope of Israel. Verse 20. And he's going to spend from morning till evening going through the Old Testament trying to persuade them, trying to encourage them, trying to enlighten them out of the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible and out of the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. And I would love to have seen that the Apostle Paul speaking the Hebrew to Jewish men out of the Jewish Old Testament. And yet one more time, if Peter made it to Rome, if Peter was this uh, character we are told as the first pope of Rome if Peter was the bishop of Rome if Peter was the prince of the apostles where is he why wasn't Peter doing this why would it fall to the apostle Paul it's clear to me that Peter never made it to Rome Peter wasn't the first bishop in Rome Peter wasn't the pope it would fall to the apostle Paul to get there and preach to them 24 and some believe the things which were spoken and some believe not Nothing new under the sun. You get saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is free will, and you are damned by not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And on top of that, God gave you grace from Ephesians chapter 2 to be saved. Salvation is of the Lord, not of man. 25. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul has spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying... Go unto his people and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. You've got two things going on here. You've got a curse back in the Old Testament, which God put on the children of Israel. That's right, a curse. And on top of that, you've got their free will. They didn't want to receive the truth. Back in Jeremiah 
Ezekiel and Isaiah, and as a result of not wanting to receive the truth, God cursed them with unbelief. And this would find its way into the New Testament. 28. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Absolutely. And this will be the final time that the Jews of the people would reject Jesus. Time after time, they would reject Jesus as a people. And therefore, through their rejection, the door has been closed on them. And for the church age, we are the people of God. And yet, when the rapture comes, the Lord turns back to Israel and starts to work with them again. And if I was to estimate, I would say this, that from Calvary until the end of the millennium, billions of Gentiles have been saved, will be saved, and will be rejoicing in eternity, worshipping the Jewish Messiah. But look at verse 29. And when he said these words, the Jews departed, and a great reasoning among themselves. They're going to wander. And let's say this is around 62, 63 AD. They're going to wander as a people right up until 1948, when the Lord puts them back in the land of Israel. 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. And that concludes Acts of the Apostles. No man forbidding him. Him being Paul. And it's somewhat of an abrupt ending. Because we are told by tradition that Paul would go to England. And if that is the case, we're not told about that. We are told that he went to Spain. And yet that is the case, we're not told that. But here, Paul ends in his own hide house. He's able to receive all those that come in unto him. And he's preaching the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of heaven, and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, nobody is restricting him, no man forbidding him. So there you are, 31 verses from Acts of the Apostles. And I have heard some suggest from the world of academia that there was a 29th chapter from Acts of the Apostles. I don't believe that. I believe we've got all that the Lord wants us to have. But just one very brief wrap up because I'm almost out of time from Acts 28. You've got Paul and co on their way to Rome. They've gone via Egypt, Sicily, Naples. They've got a man and his father saved. They've been able to heal this father of a VIP. Satan has failed once again to thwart Paul's ministry. When he finally gets to Rome, Peter is nowhere to be found because Peter never made it to Rome. Paul would preach to the elders in Rome. He would take the time to explain the gospel to them because the Lord wants everybody to be saved. And that includes a jury. Some believe, some don't believe. And therefore Paul from 25, 26, 27 responds with a righteous anger saying that prophecy has been fulfilled in his presence. He knew that they weren't going to receive the Lord as a group, as a people. And therefore the Jews reject Jesus the door closes on them for 2,000 plus years. And the Gentiles get a looking, a looking. They get saved in their millions. And I put it to you one more time that between Calvary and the end of the millennium, billions, quite possibly, of Gentiles are going to be saved. 29, the Jews depart, reasoning among themselves, thinking to themselves, who is this individual? This man called Solatarsis. He's now a Christian, he now believes in Yeshua, known to us, of course, as Jesus. He's lost his mind, he's a fruitcake, and yet, of course, they were the ones that were the fruitcakes. They passed up on this great offer. They were blinded through pride and ignorance. In fact, we were told from Romans 10, 
1 to 4 that they wouldn't receive Jesus because there were no works involved, believe it or not. They wanted to do something. And the Lord told you that works wouldn't save you. They would condemn you. 39 and 31, Paul would spend two whole years in his own hired house. And he was able to receive all those that came in unto him. And if this is written around, or this is a date around 63 AD, which some scholars believe it is, then Paul would die before the temple was destroyed, 70 AD. But he has been detained. He's under house arrest for two years. But like I say, I don't know what to make of this abrupt ending. No man forbidding him. Did he die around this time? Did he die after this time? Was he allowed to travel to England and Spain, as some have suggested, during his house arrest? That doesn't seem very plausible. And yet, it's not impossible, I suppose. But this ends with Paul, because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And what starts with the apostles from chapter 1 ends with one man. Paul the Apostle. So there you are. I will sign out and thank the Lord one final time for carrying me over the last 59 weeks, for being, uh, for being gracious enough to bless me, to teach through Acts the Apostles, to read it verse by verse, to do my best with practically no notes. I haven't wanted to consider or uh, take a look at some of my reference Bibles. I wanted to offer my own understanding to these verses without offering what others have said before me. I've looked at maybe two or three reference Bibles over three or four times, but specifically uh, concerning geographical locations and some historical characters, not concerning theology. So I'm out of time. The Lord bless you all. The Lord bless this message. And uh, all glory to God. And I give him thanks for allowing me to do this. And I hope and pray that it's been a blessing to those of you which are listening through the internet, through the shortwave radio, and through the internet, our website, and YouTube as well.